The gospel reading comes from the gospel according to John. We're in John chapter 4, verses 1 through 15. And then we'll be reading Revelation chapter 22, verses 1 through 5. Hear the word of the Lord. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me? a woman of Samaria, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Now, Revelation chapter 22, verses 1 through 5. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also, on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. And his servants will worship him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. The word of the Lord. If you're visiting with us this morning, you're coming in near the end of the study of Revelation since April. We have Sunday after Sunday after Sunday opened God's Word to the book of Revelation and we work through this book. Every message 
is like this morning's message. It is based on what's come immediately before. It's in the context of uh, the 21st and 22nd chapters. Uh, so if you are visiting, I would commend that you go to our website and listen to last week's message. Uh, it is inextricably entwined. It really fits together with the message this morning. In fact, the last two messages do from the previous two Sunday mornings. Uh, but this message will stand by itself, and uh, I pray that God will bless you through it. But I do commend that you, you do that. That will help put this message in context. As we open God's Word, let's pray and ask Him to teach us. Our Father, at this place every Sunday, we bow before you as your priests, a congregation of priests. We've not only called to be prophets, taking your word, taking your gospel out into the world by the way we live, by what we say, but you've also called us to be priests, to come before you and bring the world around us, bring our children, bring our parents, bring our family in prayer, bring our friends, our neighbors, those with whom we work, for our brothers and sisters in Christ. We thank you for how Sunday after Sunday you've answered these prayers, the prayers of your priests. So we bow before you again this morning. Thank you, Father, for the life of little Gwendolyn Pauschen. Thank you for how you brought her through that long, arduous surgery this week. Thank you for preserving her and keeping her. We pray that in the coming days, that with every hour, with every day, she would grow stronger and stronger. Our Father, bless her parents. Give them strength for this time. Draw their hearts, their minds to yourself. Bring healing to Gwendolyn. Our Father, we pray for Elizabeth Mednikow. We ask that you would bring healing in her life, in her body. We pray for Linda Rayford this morning, that you would bring healing. We pray for Mike McNannis. We thank you for the surgery this week, Father. And we pray that you would restore his health. And we pray that surgery will accomplish what it was designed to do. We pray for Amelia Kearney, Father, and we ask that you would bless her family as they celebrate the homegoing of this wonderful grandfather, this faithful man. Our Father, as we bow before you and open your word, we pray now that you would teach us. This is such a serious time. For you yourself have spoken, 
We haven't come to hear John Sartell this morning. We've come to hear you. John cannot preach or teach so that it will make any difference in our lives, so that we'll be changed at the core of our being. So we all ask you, oh, Father, this morning, teach us. We're your children. We're your children. And we're asking you to tell us a story one more time. Change us, Father. Grow us in your Son. Grow us in the love of your Son. For his glory we pray. Amen. A return to Eden. The wonder of God's provision. I was struggling a bit with this message until Friday evening. It was not that I failed to understand the text. It was the problem was how to communicate this passage to you. It troubled me all week. Revelation 21 through Revelation 22.5, these paragraphs are about the new heavens and the new earth. We spent the last two Sundays looking at Revelation chapter 21. Jesus is coming to an end of the revelation that he's giving to John. After the final judgment of chapter 20, he gives John a great vision of the church in glory, the people of God in the new heavens and the new earth. The vision is of the new Jerusalem. The vision is of the bride of Christ. The new Jerusalem, this city, is not a city where the church will live think many Christians fall into that. But we saw it last week. That's not it. The New Jerusalem is the church itself. When you look at the New Jerusalem, you're looking at the church. The New Jerusalem is decked, we saw, with glory and jewels like a bride. So the New Jerusalem is indeed the bride of Christ. And the bride of Christ is the new Jerusalem. In the vision in chapter 21, John sees the vastness. That's, a me- that's the meaning of a major portion of chapter 21. John sees the vastness of the church as this city is 1,400 miles long. One city, 1,400 miles wide, 1,400 miles high. It's a cube, a perfect cube. And it's built upon the foundation of as the church is. It's built upon the foundation, we read, of God's word, of God's promises, of God's covenant. And then this odd thing, in the foundations of our homes, we don't have jewels in the foundation of the new Jerusalem, in the very foundation. See, we see these gigantic jewels in the very foundation, demonstrating the preciousness of the word of God, the preciousness of his covenants. And now, 
with chapter 22. Jesus turns to the provision of that city. In chapter 22, Jesus reveals that it is a garden city. In chapter 22, the vision of chapter 21 just continues. It goes on. We've seen the beauty and the wonder, the condition and the status of the church, the bride of Christ. Now the theme of the vision changes. In the first five verses of chapter 22, now he envisions the abundant life that is lived there, the refreshment, the nourishment that the Lord will provide in this restored, glorious creation. So you say, what happened Friday evening that helped me communicate this incredibly deep and complex and wonderful passage? Well, I'll tell you, it's personal. It won't make sense at first, but it will. Terry and I had prepared a salad. The salad contained spinach, mixed greens, avocado, strawberries, blue cheese, chopped walnuts, shrimp, shrimp prepared in a skillet with garlic and butter and salt. As we enjoyed this wonderful mixture of taste and aroma with white wine, it hit me. I said to Terry, if you would understand Revelation 21 and 22, you must understand this simple but fabulous meal that we're eating. I reminded her that we keep saying that our resurrected bodies in this study, that, that our resurrected bodies and the new earth in which we will dwell, in our bodies, in the new earth, there's a continuity with the past. And there's a discontinuity with the past. It's still earth, but it's a new earth. It's still a body, but it's a new body. So many Christians picture heaven as a place where we'll kind of spiritually float around in this non-physical, ethereal world playing harps or, or doing... It's not like our life here. Well, that's not what we read in Revelation 21 in the other passages in the New Testament. We've said it over and over again. There's a new or renewed earth that is pictured as coming down from heaven. The souls of the saints that have returned with Jesus receive resurrected bodies. We are again body and soul. The new earth is fitted for people who are both spiritual and physical. We've already seen. It's dissimilar to the old. How? The old was filled with sin and Satan, cultures of the Antichrist, actually many Antichrists. Rebellion, treason against God, rape, murder, theft, lying, sexual immorality, sexual perversity. That wickedness is gone. It is no more. The, the new earth knows nothing of such things. But it's still earth, still fit for the physical. And what we see in Revelation 22 has to do with that salad 
and wine, which Terry and I enjoyed Friday evening. You see, that meal, when you understand it, when you understand it, you understand what Scripture's saying, that meal was a glimpse back to the Garden of Eden and also was a glimpse forward to the new earth. You say, John, what do you mean? Well, the Bible has 66 books. 66 books that are divided into two major sections, the Old Testament, the New Testament. They're quite different. Divisions between 66 books that cover thousands of years and two major sections tempt us to think that, well, it's just, it's just a book full of discontinuity. The stories in one book don't match the stories of the other books. They're written centuries apart. Well, the truth is just the opposite. And the truth is that there is no doctrine in the New Testament that does not have its roots in the Old Testament. Let's state it positively. Every Every action, every word, every doctrine of the New Testament has its roots in the Old Testament. There's no story in the Old Testament that does not fit in to the one great story of Scripture. There's no story in the New Testament that does not fit in to the one great story of Scripture. We see that in our text this morning. From Genesis to Revelation, there is one overarching story. We see the beginning of it in Genesis 1 and 2. We see the end of it in Revelations 21, Revelation 21 and 22. You see, and yes, I'm so moved by this every single week. After 50 years, folks, I'm still reading scripture and seeing a new some sometimes brand new i haven't seen it before how one passage is related to another how they fit together there's an astonishing unity to scripture that it it never ceases to amaze the reader so we come to the 22nd chapter and as we said, John sees this vision about this abundant life, this refreshment, this nourishment that the Lord will provide. Well, let's, let's look at the first two or three verses of it. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Folks, if you read that properly and see it as you ought to see it, you cannot read that without thinking of the Garden of Eden. In this concluding part of the vision, John sees a river flowing from the throne of God through the middle of the streets in the new Jerusalem. 
And he calls it the river of the water of life. It's a life-giving river. On either side of the river, there's a tree of life that lined the banks of the river. Most scholars do not think of this as a single tree, but as a grove of trees that go along the bank of the river. Listen to this. The tree produces 12 different kinds of fruit each month. Have you ever seen peaches and apples and oranges growing from the same tree? I haven't either. But one day, this is that we will. Well, what does this, it, you know, everything's a symbol in Revelation. What does this signify? It signifies what he's stating here is that there's a great variety of blessings that are perpetual in the new earth. Now stop. Look around you at this current creation, the scenery, the foods, the drink. You know, God gave them to us in Eden. This creation, he made it for us. He didn't make us for the creation. He made the creation for us. There will even be greater provision in this restored creation. Do you think he would take us to a creation where it would be less? So why is this a return to Eden? Well, go back. It's right there before you. Go back to Genesis 2. It's there on your scripture sheet. We find a wonderful garden with an abundance of trees And there's a tree of life. Look at verse 9. And out of the ground the Lord made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Eden simply was filled with trees. And then there was this great tree. The tree of life. Well, read on. Look at verse 10. There was also a river flowing through Eden. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden. And there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is Pishon. It is one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. Delium and onyx stone stone are there. The name of the second river is Gihon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third is the Tigris which flows east of Assyria, and the fourth river is the Euphrates. Those rivers brought life to the garden. And then there are those precious stones. We read about them just now. There in verse 11, the name of the first is Bashan. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah, where there's gold, And the gold of that land is good. Delium and onyx stone are there. Do you see it? Don't you see it? They're also there in the new earth, in the new Jerusalem. The rivers, 
Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. A river that waters the garden. It's actually called the water of life. There's more there than that. We'll look at it in just a moment. But then there are the trees. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life. Now I'm reading from Scripture. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. What a marvelous garden this is. People, that's straight out of Genesis 2. Do you see the parallel? Then there are the jewels. Remember the precious stones of Eden? We just read about them in Genesis 2. Well, look at Revelation 21, verse 18. The wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, and on and on. You come down to verse 21, and the 12 gates were 12 pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl. Wow. So Jesus in Revelation brings us full circle. It all started with God's creation in Genesis 1 and 2. Now at the end of the story, Jesus in Revelation brings us back to Eden. Remember the 66 books of the story? The first two chapters of Genesis, the first two chapters of Genesis, depict a creation free from treason, sin, Satan, rebellion, evil. A creation free from murder and rape and theft and lying and adultery, sexual immorality, sexual perversity, free of war, genocide, abortion, and slavery. None of that was there. Then after those two chapters, there's 1,189 chapters filled with treason and sin and Satan and rebellion and evil. A creation filled with murder, rape, theft, lying, adultery, sexual immorality, sexual perversity, war, genocide, abortion, slavery. And then what happened? After 1,189 chapters, the last two chapters depict the creation freed once more from treason, sin, Satan, rebellion, and evil. A creation free of murder, rape, theft, lying, adultery, sexual immorality, sexual perversity, war, genocide, abortion, and slavery. Four chapters of the entire book depict creation without sin and the results of sin. The first two in Eden. The last two in the new creation. A return to Eden. Well, what, what is this, what's this river of life? What's that about? Well, we could begin 
in the Old Testament and work our way through a fantastic vision in Ezekiel. But we're going to save that for another day. You could read it this afternoon in Ezekiel 46 and 47. It's powerful. It's inextricably entwined with this river in Revelation 22. However, Jesus speaks of this water in the passage we read from John 4 this morning about Jesus and the woman at the well. In this historic scene, Jesus is left alone at Jacob's well outside of Samaria. His disciples have gone to gather some food. A woman comes with her water jar to the well to draw water. And Jesus asks her for a drink. She cannot believe that a Jewish man is making a request from a woman, a Samaritan woman at that. And she says some such words to Jesus. Why are you asking me, a Samaritan woman? And Jesus tells her, if you really knew to whom you're speaking, if you really knew the person making this this request, you would ask him. And he would give you living water. Of course, she says, what is this living water? Well, it's clarified in John 7, verse 37 and 39. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, that's capital S, about the Holy Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not yet been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Folks, you link this with other scriptures And you see that Old and New Testament, what is taught is that the Holy Spirit is the living water. The water that brings life, eternal life. Just like water waters a garden and brings life. You can't have gardens without water. You can't have life, not real life, without the Holy Spirit. Now let's go back and read Revelation 22.1. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Did you see it? This occurs several times in Revelation. You have the throne of the Father. It says the throne of God, but usually in Revelation, you have the throne of God. It it means the throne of the Father. But this is the throne of God and of the Lamb. So it's the the throne of the Father, the throne of the Lamb. Well, where's the Holy Spirit? It's right there in front of us. He's literally flowing from the throne through the new creation. He permeates the new creation. Remember? What Jesus said to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, you must be born again. 
to have eternal life, you must be born again. How can I be born? I'm an old man. How can I be reborn? Through the power of the Holy Spirit. He'll bring life to you as he flows into your life. Remember the new creation, the new Jerusalem is a cube. Where else does that cube occur? In the tabernacle and the temple, the one place that we see a cube. It's in the holy of holies. We saw it last week. The whole of the new Jerusalem, the whole of the church becomes the holy of holies. The picture is that the presence of God, the presence of the Lamb, permeates every minuscule of this creation. What does the verse say? There's a verse that comes right after this. The verse says, we will see his face. We will see his face. We'll be marked. It goes on. We'll be marked with the indelible mark of Jesus on our foreheads. We'll be the only people in glory with the mark of the blood of the Lamb on them. The Holy Spirit himself will be the life-giving water of the Lamb. Now, even today, even today in this fallen creation, we experience a foreshadowing of the new earth. That's what we were talking about Friday night. That meal that Terry and I ate. That was a foreshadowing of what's coming. You see, the Holy Spirit has already given us new life. Now then it will be, be beyond imagination. But if you love Jesus Christ, if you have faith in Jesus Christ... That came from a changed heart. It's impossible to love Christ apart from that. And who did that? The Holy Spirit did that. That's a foreshadowing of this new creation as the Holy Spirit flows through that new creation. Since Pentecost, he's been flowing through this creation. You see, eternal life, it doesn't begin when Jesus returns. Eternal life has already started. If, if you've been born again, <laughs> your eternal life has already started. What did Jesus tell Martha? He said, he shall not die. He believes in me, shall not die. His soul will go home to glory. So what does our text say? We will see the face of the Lamb. I got a picture sometime in the last two weeks. I can't remember who sent it to me now, but somebody sent me a picture. And it's one of those pictures that was just timed just perfect. 
It was a picture of a bride. It was a real picture, a real event. And she was looking at her groom. Adoringly. That's what this passage means when it says, we will see his face. So this morning, I ask you, do you love Jesus Christ? Do you? You can't do that unless you have been born again. Unless the river of life has flowed into you in the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you yearn to see him? Do you yearn for his return? Well, just look out at the world. The world does not love Jesus. In fact, there is a growing anger in our culture toward Jesus. The world doesn't love Christ. The world doesn't yearn to see Do you see the difference between where you are, where we are, and where the world is? So that's the question this morning. Do you love him? Do you yearn for his return? There's a day coming, a continuity coming that is just going to blow us away. I can only think of one way to close this service. We've been closing the service and singing about that day that's coming. But this morning we're going to sing hymn number 32 and you know it by heart. We sing it over and over. We sing it at Thanksgiving every year. Great is thy faithfulness. And we're looking at the creation in which we live. We're looking at the creation in which we live and singing to the praise of God. And we're looking forward to an even greater creation that's coming. Hymn number 32. Let's stand as we sing.
May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be inside of us and go with us and abide with us. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.